0: going to turn to God's Word now. And I'm aware sometimes as we turn to read God's Word together, we we, we are tempted sometimes in our tradition to do that almost as if it was the warm-up act for the sermon. But God's Word is there that we might read it, not just understand it, but meditate upon it. Let it touch us, let it fill us. Psalm 119 is a very long psalm in fact it's the longest of the psalms and preachers very rarely preach on all of it because it goes on for pages after pages after pages we can't even read all of it this morning but it is an invitation to allow God's word to fill us to reflect on what's important It repeats itself several times it comes at us again and again in fact if you wanted some homework from today it would be to sit with psalm 119 and read it maybe even aloud to yourself but let's hear a bit of it this morning and i'm going to read one line and elaine will repeat with the other and if you're at home you might want to read out loud with us just now breathing in the word of god let's hear god's word Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord.
1: Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart.
0: Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways.
1: You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently.
0: Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes.
1: Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments.
0: I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules.
1: I will keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me.
0: How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word
1: with my whole heart I seek you let me not wander from your commandments
0: I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you
1: blessed are you O Lord teach me your statutes
0: with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth
1: in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches.
0: I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways.
1: I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word.
0: Amen. And thanks be to God. i going to hear the gospel reading there.
1: This morning's reading is Luke chapter 6. And we're reading verses 43 to 49. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Amen and thanks be to God for his word.
0: Psalm 119 says famously at verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would light our way and lead us in truth. Amen. We are continuing focusing on Luke's gospel and Jesus' sermon on the plane from Luke chapter 6. And if you um, haven't been following the last few weeks, or even if you've forgotten it, I would encourage you not to go back and listen to all the sermons on YouTube, or you're welcome to do that, but just to take Luke 6 and to read jesus sermon in the second half of that chapter read it right through as one piece the powerful image that we start with that we read today though that might have struck with you is the story of the wise and the foolish Builders. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And we all remember it. In fact, if we had the children here this morning, no doubt, uh, I, I would have done something with, with having a house and something falling down and all the stories that go with that. Or, or maybe one of the famous songs, The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the other one is Mr. Noah built an ark. Here it is here. Mr. Noah
1: built an ark.
0: People thought it such a lie. Mr. Noah built it so. But into the ark
1: they
0: would not go. Down came the rain in torrents. That's enough. Down came the rain. Yeah, Mr. Noah built his ark and down came the rain. In- I always read that as a child as Down came the rain in torrents, which I thought was a bit hard on the folk that lived in the north side of, of Glasgow. But there you have it, that's Scotland for you. The interesting thing, I suppose, is this: as we read this, as we read it today, is that we've sung that story, we've told that story, we've elaborated that story. There's been cartoons based on it and everything, but actually, when you look at the Bible, it's just three verses. It's a very bare parable, although a very powerful one that Jesus tells. And actually, it's, it's a parable that, that speaks of a choice between two different ways of living. And Jesus often uses that to challenge us about which one are we. Think of the, two, the man with his two sons, the prodigal son, or, or, or Martha and Mary, the two sisters, or the, the two thieves on the cross, or the, the narrow way and the broad way. Lots of times that Jesus puts before us a choice. Two people, two reactions, and we have to think which one are we. The story is often used of the wise and the foolish builders to talk about the nature of the rock that they were standing on and a challenge to think about what our life is based on. I've often heard this used by preachers in evangelism to ask are we standing on the rock that is Jesus or are we standing on the sinking sand of of something that is, is, is not permanent, is not the living word of God. But actually, when you look at the passage itself, it's not really about the question, are you a Christian or are you not? Are you standing on the rock that is Jesus? It's about how do you react to it? Jesus begins talking to a whole crowd of disciples who are following him and he asks a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and do not do what I say. And he then speaks about the man on the rock and the man who builds his house not on a rock. And he's speaking about them in terms of one puts into practice my words and the other does not. You see, both of these men are are believers. Both of these men say, Lord, Lord. Both of these men are disciples. Both of these men profess faith. But one of them listens to the sermon and simply says, amen, hallelujah, yes, Lord, I believe all of that. But it doesn't seem to make any difference to how he lives. The other comes and listens to the word of God, and he yearns to be transformed by it. yearns to change. As we come to Scripture, as we come to God's Word, as we come to worship, I think that's the biggest question that's before us. Not what does the Word mean or what is God asking of me, but simply this big question. Do you yearn to be changed? Or are you just satisfied living your life the way you do? Do you yearn to be more generous? Do you yearn to be more loving? Do you want to be more sacrificial in your living? Do you want to be a different person? Of course, sometimes we look at what we think the gospel is asking us and we say, "Oh, that's awful hard to do, it's awful hard to change, but that's not the first question first question is, do you want to? Do you want to follow Jesus? Not just saying words or believing things, but actually learning to love Him, to do the things that He does, to react instinctively in the ways that He would act. The parable of these two men and their building has a background in in geography, a background in the geography of Judea. What happened in Judea was it it, it was a very dry land, a very arid land. It was difficult for things to grow. And then all the rain came at once. And in a seasonal time, in the time of the rain where it would all come, maybe in the late winter or early spring, it would flood down. The streams would suddenly burst open with the rain. It would all come at once. Now, we have to think our mind into that as Scots, because we're not used to there just being one rainy season, are we? We're used to having four rainy seasons, winter, spring summer and autumn but for much of the world actually the rain all comes at once and what that meant was that suddenly they would know what it was like for a torrent to hit a house as the streams burst their banks as the water flowed through the valleys and so one of the questions that they would ask quite acutely when they went to build a house was how are you doing it? In Matthew's version of the story, there is rocky ground and there is sandy ground. The sandy ground is caused because when the flash floods move through the valleys, they leave silt. They leave an area that's really easy to build on, but then the flash flood will come back and move the silt again. Luke's version is asking a slightly different question. He's asking a question about how do you build foundations? Do you build them digging deep that your house will stand when the flood comes, or do you just simply build upon whatever is there? It's two slightly different takes on the same story. If you look at the version in in Matthew 6 and the version in Luke, you'll see the difference. Not unexpectedly, Jesus is telling this story, no doubt, many times as he uses the same preaching material as he wanders around and perhaps he's looking at the building materials and the exact geography of the place that he is as he tells the story at that time but the question is the same are you building the easy way or are you building something thinking about the long term future-proofing it making it to last even If it's harder and has to go deeper to survive. Matthew in his version refers to the two men as the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man builds with the foundations the foolish man does not and it's an interesting term that because the foolish man is perhaps not quite what we'd think. We think of a foolish man as someone who does stupid things, as a man who jokes around But in Greek, the word for fool is the word muron, muros. It's where we get our word moron from. And it isn't really to do with joking around or doing stupid things. It's rather to do with the fact that what the fool does has no value. What the fool does doesn't last. You'll find this if you read through the Old Testament, particularly if you read through what's called the wisdom literature, the book of Psalms, and the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, that continual question before people, do you want to be a wise man who digs deep, who follows the way of God, who thinks about the way of God, or do you want to be the foolish man who just lives for the moment, who doesn't think about things at all, who lives his life without wise advice? The fool driven by his desire for the moment, his popularity, the things that don't last. And here, the foolish man, at one sense, is doing the same thing as the wise man. On the outside, it's very difficult to tell the difference. They're both building a house. No doubt they both use the same materials as in the structure. No doubt they both have the same desires for the mod cons or whatever else they want. Both are running around. Both are very busy. But the problem with the fool is there's no depth, no time to think about the future, no sacrifice made. He's lazy in his actions. He's lazy in his thinking. He's lazy because he wants what our world so often wants today. He wants immediate results. And when the flood comes, it completely collapses we're told. It is utterly destroyed. Its destruction is complete. I take that as you think about it in terms of sandcastles. My, my children are getting a little bit old for it but every time we pass a beach now I, I remember going and, and playing in the sand with them and of course you can build a sandcastle quite easily can't you? You just get the, the spade and the, the pail and you you, you put it down and the sandcastle's built or, or, or you can spend a whole afternoon doing something quite elaborate can't you get a bit of help from dad and there's a there's a sandcastle and a half there's a challenge for you this summer if you can get to a beach anywhere there's a Scottish beach you might find out a little time without rain but you know one of the things about the sandcastle whether you've spent 10 minutes on it or an hour on it is you then watch the waves come in don't you and the waves go out And when it's finished, there's nothing left. It's all gone. And that's the image that's there. Do we build something that lasts or do we build something that's there for a moment and gone? What does it say about who we are and what we're about? As I said, the psalmists speak a a lot about this. Just to take one other psalm, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 talks about two people. It's here talking not about wise man and a foolish man, but but by a righteous man and a wicked man. And it talks about this. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delights in the law of God who meditates on his law day and night, who breathes in, as it were, the word of God. And it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season. Something about people who invest, who reflect on God's word, who reflect on what's important, who reflect on what the creator says and calls them to be, who reflect on his goodness, And let it seep deep into them that they're like trees, unshakable, doing something that lasts, building character that lasts. And the contrast, well, here's Psalm 1 going on. It says, not so the wicked, they're like chaff. They blow away. Things that do not last. The question here isn't about heaven and hell. The question isn't here about our eternal fate. The question is, what's the impact of who we are and what we do on society around us? What are we leaving for our children? What is the legacy that we are leaving? Not just in, do we give them a good education or or do we give them a good standard of life, but How do we shape them? What type of people do we make them? What's the legacy we have on people around us? What's the legacy we have as a church on our community? Are we people who have drunk in the word of God that it begins to shape who we are and how we live and how we love and how we act and how we shine that actually we begin to have an impact on those around us too? For the folk that were listening to Jesus, they must have been thinking about those building works. And it's interesting that when you think about building, most of the houses built down through the ages by peasants and by poor people don't last. In fact, if you go to Capernaum today, where Jesus taught, where Peter came from, you actually will find, and it's very unusual, the actual foundations of houses from that period. So perhaps as they heard of the wise and the foolish builders, that's what they thought of, that there were people who thought about the future, who thought about what they were leaving and therefore dug deep into the ground. Jesus was saying, dig deep into God's word, not just with your heads, but with your lives. It's interesting that another bit of building work that was going on just at that very time that the people would have been aware of was one in in Jerusalem where King Herod was building and he was rebuilding the temple. Significant that if you go to Israel today, to Palestine today, you will find in Jerusalem part of Herod's temple, 2,000 year old, the Wailing Wall, part of the original temple that Herod was building. Something that stood the test of time 2,000 years old. I wonder what we're building today as we build houses, as we build millennium domes, and all the things that our society builds, it will not be there in 2,000 years' time. Leaving a legacy. A legacy in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Here's what Paul talks about as he talks about how we live He says we should build with care. Let me read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each of you should build with care. No one can lay any foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones or wood, stubble and hay, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet he will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, Notice what Paul's saying here. He's not talking about a Christian and a non-Christian building on different things. He's talking about two Christians. They're both building on the same foundation. They both believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They both believe that he will save them. They both know that they're going to heaven. They both know that they're part of the kingdom of God. But what are they doing in the meantime on that foundation of their belief? Are they simply building things that aren't going to last? Are they simply doing things that are pretty worthless? Are they simply living their lives like everybody else? Because When it is all brought to light, that will be shown up for what it is and it's nothing. Yes, they'll be saved. Paul's quite clear about that. It's not their eternal fate that is in stock, but in the dock, but actually, what has God produced in their life? And then there are those who build with sacrifice, costly, reflecting on God's word, letting it be part of what they are, building things that matter, in their character and in their community. We are, as believers, people who are building on the foundation that's Jesus, and nobody can take that from us. But what are we building? Because here's the thing, every single decision we make, every choice we make, Every minute we spend begins to shape who we are. That's how character operates. It's not about a big decision about the type of person you want to be. It's about all the small decisions because each decision makes the next decision easier. So if this decision is a decision to live selfishly, if this decision is a a decision to close my ears to someone else's need, then the next time I do that, it will get easier and easier. If this decision is a decision to ask, what would Jesus want? What does his word teach? How am I faithful to him? Then the next decision gets easier and easier to make the right way. If I live my life wanting and desiring to be shaped and changed by him so that when I get it wrong, I come and I repent and I allow him to lift me up and change me and help me do better, then I begin to become more and more like Jesus. There's a basic character question at the heart of this. We are followers of Jesus, but do we really want to be those who in every part of our life follow Jesus? I'm struck as we ask questions. Uh, We're back to the passage there, that's fine. I'm struck as we ask questions just now about the future of our church. It's very tempting to get caught up in what activities we will do, what program we will have. Will we we do some house groups or or, or will we do a a soup kitchen or, or, or will we arrange this for the elderly or this for the young people or do this type of youth work or what will we do with the building or the grounds or whatever else it is? All those program questions. But what type of people do we want to be? Because that's the legacy that we really build. Each small decision making a culture. Do we want to be a people who live in such a way that we are shaped by Jesus? One of the things I know we want to do is sing. Jesus is his Lord, creation's voice proclaims it. I, I long to hear us singing that. Jesus is risen from the dead. The Lord is alive. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Lord is King. We want to sing the Lord's songs, don't we? Gathered in this place. But then I'm brought back to this passage. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? Why do you sing Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you say, Lord, Lord, I believe your word, and do not do what I say? Are we building something that lasts? I would challenge you this week, if nothing else, to read Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Read it as it talks about loving enemies. Read it as it talks about blessing the poor. Read it as it talks about forgiveness. Read it as it talks about obedience. And ask, Lord, how do I live like that? Take Psalm 119, all of its hundreds of verses, and read it, not analyzing each line, but just letting letting it fill you. How do I live reflecting on what you want, on your teaching, on your Torah, in every part of my life? as Jesus took those disciples aside and taught them this sermon, he wasn't giving them a how-to-get-to-heaven course. Of course, he would die for them. Of course, he would rise again. Of course, that would guarantee their eternal fate with the eternal God. None of that isn't true. But he wasn't teaching them that. He wasn't teaching them techniques for evangelism. But day by day as they lived together, he was teaching them what it meant to be disciples. What it meant to live for him. Christians are those who have made a choice for Jesus Christ. They are those who have said, yes, he is my Lord and he is my Savior and I will follow him. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have come to the cross and I have said I need His grace and His forgiveness. He died for me and nothing can take that away from me. But Christians are also called every minute of every day to make a choice. I will live for Him. I will return to Him. I will come in tears when I get it wrong and I know He will lift me up, but yet again I will come and I will follow Him. It is not just, I have decided to follow Jesus. It is moment by moment, I am deciding to follow Jesus and be changed by him into something that matters, into someone who matters, into a people together that matter because we are engaged in a work of his kingdom for all eternity amen